the readings from Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, verses 1 to 15, and then Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 31. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand and seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks, and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. So over a couple of pages to chapter 15 and verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Talaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. 
but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Uh, Thanks, Scott. Uh, Please turn back to page 433 in your Bibles as we will look at 1 Samuel 13 and 14 and 15. So that's page 433 if you've accidentally closed your Bibles. And let me start by asking you first. I want you to imagine something with me if you can. I want you to imagine being told by God himself what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and not doing it. I want you to imagine receiving a personal word from God to you and ignoring it. It's not hard to imagine at all, is it? Actually, I reckon we don't need to imagine it. Like we heard in the kids' talk this morning, we most likely have done it today. We most likely have done it yesterday. 
and most probably will likely do it tomorrow. Our difficulty, sadly, isn't imagining what it's like to disobey the word of God. No, our difficulty is grasping the seriousness of it. You see, we all have a default setting within us that minimizes our disobedience to God, where we excuse it, where we try to explain it away. And it's a terrible deception. To be given a command, an instruction, a word from the living God, and to ignore it, disregard it, disobey it, is actually a horrific thing to do. And we see this clearly in our passage this morning. But what we'll see is, when we understand who God really is, and trust Him for who He is, well, it'll help us obey Him as we should. Well, before we look at these chapters in detail, uh, let's ask for God's help as we deal with His Word. Will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the just and good God. Heavenly Father, there are things in these chapters that are disturbing to us. There are things that trouble us. And so I I ask now that you may help me to be clear as I explain this part of your word this morning. And we pray that you will help all of us understand your truth and help all of us to respond rightly uh, to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning we're going to see three things. Uh, Firstly, we're going to see uh, chapter 13, uh, where uh, Saul doubts God's word. Excuse me, Jan, on the next slide. Thanks there, Jan. So firstly, chapter 13, we see Saul doubting his word, uh, God's word. Chapter 14, we'll see Jonathan, the son of Saul, and how he's different to his father. And then chapter 15, Saul's final disobedience. Uh, But let me really quickly recap what we saw two weeks ago. Uh, When Felix was preaching, we saw chapter 8. The people of Israel, they wanted to have a king like the other nations. And and to our surprise, God grants them a king. And God talks through through prophet Samuel. They are able to get a king. And through a whole heap of seemingly ordinary events that God orchestrated, God brings Saul to Samuel. And Saul is anointed king. And in chapter 10, when Saul was anointed king, Samuel gave Saul two instructions. Firstly, uh, to do something about uh, a Philistine outpost uh, that's inside the Israelite border. And then secondly, to go to Gilgal and wait seven days uh, for Samuel to do the offering. So there's the to-do list. That's the first one. We go to the second one, please, Jan. That's the deal with the Philistines. And the second one, wait seven days. Well, now we come to our passage in chapter 13. And in verse 2, Saul has assembled his troops ready to, uh, for battle. There's 3,000 in total. But what we see in verse 3, it's Jonathan, not Saul that takes initiative to attack the Philistine outpost that was mentioned on the to-do list in number one there. 
And I think the Philistines, they, they don't like this. And so the Philistines, they launch a counter-strike, and 3,000 chariots and twice as many soldiers are coming. And so we're in verse 6. The Israelites, they realize that the odds are against them, and they start scattering. And you can imagine the panic that Saul's feeling here. Saul's been told to wait seven days. That's the to-do list number two. And as each day passes, Saul is anxiously thinking, Hey, where's Saul? Have you seen Saul? And now it's the seventh day. His Israelite forces are dwindling. There's no sign of Samuel. It's a desperate moment. So what does Saul do? Well, please read verse 9 with me. Verse 9 says this. So he, being Saul, said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. But then we read in verse 10. Well, uh, verse 10 says, Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And so Samuel says to Saul, Hey Saul, what have you done? And if you look at verses 11 and 12 there, basically Saul's saying, Hey, it's not like I had a choice in this. I couldn't stop the people from scattering. I had no idea where you were. And I wasn't going to make a move without seeking God's favor. So I did the only thing I could do in these circumstances. How was I supposed to know that you are going to appear out of thin air? And by the way, where were you five minutes ago? Now Saul's expecting a bit of sympathy now. But Samuel says something that will totally knock Saul off his feet. Samuel says in verse 13, have a look there please. Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. Now, that's an astonishing thing to say. What was, what was foolish about Saul's actions in these desperate circumstances? Wouldn't it be more foolish not to do anything? But Samuel continued, second half of verse 13. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And that, according to Samuel, is what a fool does. The command that Saul was given back in chapter 10 was to wait for Samuel to do the offering. Now, please feel the weight of what we see in this episode here. For Saul to obey God, it was an extraordinary thing to do, considering the circumstances. We might even say that it was very close to impossible. Why? Well, because to obey God in those circumstances required Saul to trust God against every instinct, every evidence, every aspect of his experience here. But the heart of Saul's, Saul's foolishness is that he forgot who God really is and he doubted God's word. And because Saul doubted and disobeyed, 
Well, the consequences of Saul's foolishness is that the kingdom won't continue with Saul, but will go to someone else. Someone who God will seek after his own heart, rather than a king that the people ask for. And we'll see that unfold next week. Well, let's now jump to chapter 14. I'll win the next slide now. Uh, Jan, please. Thank you. Chapter 14. Oh, sorry, not that one. Yeah, let's leave it there. Okay. Now, we didn't read this chapter for a second time, but let me quickly walk through the narrative with you. So chapter 14 opens up with, with Jonathan again. And he's planning to attack the Philistines again. And again, we see Jonathan taking the initiative that Saul should have taken. And what the narrator's doing here in chapter 14 is to show that the, the very quality that Saul lacks is the quality that Jonathan actually has. She just let me pause. Uh, Jan, we're actually three slides ahead now. Well, that was Saul. Yeah, we'll go to the next one. Uh, and yes, that's where we're at. Now, Jonathan, he's pondering his attack. And he talks to his sidekick in verse 6. And let me read to you verse 6 of chapter 14. And we're on now page 435. So, verse 6, chapter 14. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on, in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Uh, Jan, wait the next slide now, please. Thank you. So there's Jonathan and the armor-bearer talking. Now, notice two important things that Jonathan is saying here. Firstly, Jonathan is saying, well, firstly, he has no fear when it comes to the Philistines. That's not because he's an overconfident teenager. No, his courage is based on his trust in God. And notice his words in verse 6. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. You see, here's where Jonathan is different to his dad. Instead of panicking because there's a lack of men to fight with him, well, Jonathan only has his armor bearer. And he's confident that God can save, whether he has a mighty army or just this guy. Secondly, more importantly, Jonathan understood who God really is. And he expresses the conviction that's basic to all true faith in God. That God is of infinite power. Now that's a truth that's repeated again and again throughout the pages of the Bible. That nothing is too hard for God. That with God, all things are possible. Now is that how you see God? Do you believe that all things are possible with God? That nothing's too hard for him? That he can do anything? You see, faith in God knows that well, God is of infinite power. But it doesn't mean to presume on that power. And notice what Jonathan said in verse 6. Uh, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. 
Jonathan was trusting the matter to God's will and leaving it in his hands. You see, that's true faith. Where you recognize God's power in all things, but you submit to his will. Knowing that God is both good and wise. Well, what Jonathan knew could happen, actually did happen. And the rest of chapter 14 talks about how God throws the Philistines into confusion. And the Philistines end up killing each other. And uh, God saves his people by a few. So Jonathan shows the essentials of what it means to trust in God, which is precisely what Saul lacked in chapter 13. You see, if Saul hadn't doubted, but instead believed in God's power, believed in God's goodness, believed in God's wisdom, well, if he did all those things, he wouldn't have disobeyed God, even though his situation was desperate. You see, Saul was becoming a king like the other nations, where he doesn't recognize who God really is. Now the thing is, now we find Samuel's words to Saul back in chapter 13. We, seem, we tend to think that Samuel's a little bit over the top. Because to us, you know, Saul's mistake it is so understandable. It's a small thing. It was a matter of timing. A judgment made in desperate circumstances. It's difficult to imagine that well, any of us would have done any better than Saul in a similar situation. What would you have done? But the thing is, we are all like Saul. And we sympathize with him because we too find it hard to obey God fully, to trust God fully in the circumstances that we find ourselves. We want to lower the bar for Saul because we want to lower the bar for ourselves. And it's only going to be a matter of time when, when we're going to be like Saul when we take matters into our own hands, push God aside, instead of leaving the matter in God's hands. And you know, we can actually do that in all areas of our lives with how we try to maybe push a particular situation at work, or in our search for a future spouse, or even how we interact with each other. It's with the things that we can't always control. Those are the times that we're meant to leave things in God's hands and be prepared to wait. Saul was content to kind of depend on his own resources rather than trust God at his word and trust God in his timing. So what we heard in the kids' talk this morning, God is, God's word is telling us this morning that where to trust God when, even when we see our resources slipping away. But we're also to trust God when we think our resources are sufficient, when we think that we can handle it alone, 
And that brings us to chapter 15. Let me show you chapter 15. We're in chapter 15. Uh, God gives Saul another mission. Where Saul is to attack the Amalekites. And when he's to do this, he's going to take no souvenirs. He's going to take no survivors. He's to destroy everything. Bring nothing back. No sheep, no cattle, nothing. Now at this point we need to recognize that this attack by God's people on the Amalekites, it isn't random. It isn't God acting on a whim here. You see, the Amalekites, they had a long history of violent hostility towards the people of God. As they were the first human threat to the Israelites after the Exodus. And because of this, God pronounced judgment on the Amalekites back in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And since then, well, the Amalekites have continued to be a wicked people. A people deeply set against God. And so, the time is now for God's judgment to come and fall on the Amalekites. Now, there's no way to lessen the horror of this moment. The message from God to Saul on this day, it is terrible. However, we have to remember that this was the holy and righteous judgment of God. And that God's the, the one who always does the right and just thing. Well, what did Saul do? Well, if you're thinking all of this sounds too harsh, well, so did Saul. And so Saul reckons, well, he's got a better idea. He's going to choose the best-looking samples of everything and bring them home. Uh, please read verse 9 with me. It says this, verse 9. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed And so in verse 12, Samuel comes to confront Saul for his actions. And Saul, he greets Samuel with a smile. And he says to him, hey Samuel, I carried out the Lord's instructions. Now at this point, if we take Saul at face value... If we give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's not deliberately trying to uh, cover up his failure or uh, he's, uh, that he's, fully, he's not obeying God fully, what we see here is something of sin's deceitfulness. At the very sinfulness that he was doing, that actually leads to the disobedience, that sinfulness often blinds the sinner to the reality of his or her disobedience. And as in the experience of Saul, and I want to say this really clearly, a clear conscience is no guarantee of innocence. Verse 14, Samuel says, basically he says, how come I can hear sheep? Do you notice what happened straight away when Saul said, uh, Samuel said that? Well, Saul now starts 
shifting the blame to the soldiers. And says it was their idea to spare the, the sheep and the cattle. Now, where have you heard something like that before? Well, it's exactly what we see back in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve said to God, hey, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. You see, Saul stands in the great tradition of sinners since Adam, denying responsibility of their sin and blaming others. And the thing is, we've all played that game too. And sometimes we do it with the utmost sincerity. We convince ourselves that the blame isn't ours. It was the other person. It was my upbringing. It was my circumstances. But it's not my fault. But then Saul proceeds to now minimize his disobedience, the seriousness of it, by claiming that, oh, the soldiers had a noble motive to do this. It was done in order to sacrifice it to God. Again, this is a game that we also know really well. Where we've done the wrong thing, but we meant well. For example, you could say, I cheated on my taxes so I can give more to charity, so I can give more to church. Sin blinds sinners to sinfulness. Well, Samuel responds back to Saul in verse 22. And he says that God doesn't delight in sacrifices because he's more concerned about obedience. And to think that disobedience to the word of God can somehow be compensated by some religious activity like Saul's proposed sacrifice, or Samuel saying, that is the height of foolishness. Mind you, that's something that is common to us as well. Has it ever crossed your mind that you might compensate for some disobedience to God's word by going to church or by being generous with your money or being generous with your time? You see, God doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't want what you do. He wants your heart. He wants you to listen to him. He wants you to trust him in all aspects of your life. Saul stands as one of the great tragic figures in world's history. And we really feel for his tragedy because we know his weaknesses all too well. Saul has failed, just as I have failed, just as you have failed. We know what it is to forget God, to not really trust Him, to actually disobey Him. And so it's appropriate for us to see in Saul's story this lesson in our lives. So, so can I say, let's not be like Saul. Let's not forget God. But instead, well, let's be like Jonathan, who fully trusted God for who he is. And obeyed God in his response to him. 
thing is, if it was only up to us to obey God by our own effort, then no matter how good we are, we're always going to be in a sinful rut, just like Saul was. And here lies the deeper lesson for all of us here this morning. Saul's failure points us to the king who is everything Saul failed to be. You see, Jesus is God's king who didn't fail. Jesus is the obedient king who has now come, and Jesus is no fool. He's not like Saul, and he's not like us either. Jesus was obedient in all aspects of his life, to the point of his death, even death on the cross. And it's through his life and death that we can be rescued from a tragedy like Saul's. That we can be granted a new relationship with God, where our standing with God isn't based on how well we obey him, but it's based on our trust in Jesus. But more than that, as we recognize the obedient king and what he's done in saving us, it will give us the reason to keep trusting him and wanting to obey him. This morning we've seen Saul's foolishness. And please let Saul's foolishness point you to the wisdom, to the one who said well, these words from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Let me show you on the screen. It says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Building on the rock of Jesus by trusting and obeying him is the only way to live the good and wise life and not the life of a fool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the obedient king. That through his obedience we can be made right with you. Heavenly Father, we confess there are so many times when we are like Saul, where we don't trust you fully, when we don't obey you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will change us. Help us to repent when we need to, to see that you are the one who can do all things, that you are good, that your ways are best. And we pray that you will grow us, that we can be more like the Lord Jesus and live our lives of obedience to you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.